The most useful dimension of the Enneagram begins when we move beyond the typology and develop an awareness of how we interact with others and carry ourselves in the world. Aphoria wants to invite coaches, therapists, and organizational development practitioners in applying the Enneagram in areas of inclusivity, leadership, and team dynamics. Visit aphoriapartners.com for more information on deepening your knowledge and practice of the Enneagram. That's aphoriapartners.com or click the link in the show notes. Welcome to another episode of the International Enneagram Association podcast. We are here with two very special guests, and we have not stopped laughing since they walked through the door. (laughs) It's been so much fun, so we're going to keep the fun going with Sharon K. Ball and Renee Siegel. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Welcome to us. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. So you're editing that out. That stays in. (laughs) We're glad you're here. (laughs) We know that you are just coming off of a session that you taught here at the conference. So there's a bit of an adrenaline rush going right now. We want to keep that going. (laughs) How do we transition? (laughs) Yeah, right? So trauma. (laughs) trauma. (laughs) Yeah. I would love to hear about the session that you guys just came out of. What how did that go? What was it like? What are you really hoping that people just kind of walked out the door going, that was amazing, or this is what I learned? So the trauma, the trauma, the session was focused on um, Enneagram informed awareness. So basic level of how to be aware with uh, anyone going through trauma, how to move into awareness, help them out. And we covered several aspects, the five different types of trauma, big T, little T, you know, Mm -hmm. chronic, complex, in a brief overview Mm -hmm. of that. Essentially, I wanted them to come out feeling equipped to be a gatekeeper, which is any one of us. It's the initial person that's um, going to hear that someone has gone through a trauma because more often than not, they're going to they're not going to come to Renee or I at first. They're going to go to a safe person, and then that person will refer them to a -hmm. therapist. And Mm -hmm. so I wanted everyone in the room to have the essentials so they can go out and spread the essentials. And all of that's packed into the book. So we we recently had uh, Sharon on our podcast, Fathoms, and had a wonderful interview there as well where she unpacked her book a little bit more. So definitely, listener, go check that out on, on Fathoms and Egram Podcasts. But Sharon, as you're talking about these gatekeepers, what are the prerequisites to being a gatekeeper? Ooh, Renee, everybody's a gatekeeper. Mm. I mean, that's Mm. sometimes, I mean, it'd be nice to think that we have prerequisites of being a gatekeeper, but a gatekeeper is basically anybody that is exposed to Mm. someone who is traumatized. Mm. And I think after the pandemic and, um, Mm -hmm. and, what's been happening in the world at large, I don't think anybody's excluded from that. Mm. So it's relationship. That, in yes. some ways, that's the prerequisite? No, I think it's just any human being on the street. Being yeah. human is a prerequisite to gatekeeping. I would identify as human, yes. I, yeah. Yes, right, and great. so, and having an, you know, a resource, to, you know, it's the, trauma awareness is a tool. So mm. no, if I walk out onto these streets in San Francisco, I'm going to encounter someone who's experienced trauma. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. Now they might say something that's a little snotty, frustrating, or impatient, and I will be able to hold space for that and depersonalize it because I can look at it from a trauma lens going, maybe they're hurting. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay, well, it's not about me. I'm going to keep doing my thing. 
I do think there's a level down or level up that you become trauma informed after you're aware you take more classwork, you know, learn more about trauma and you become informed, trauma informed care. And then you can move into places like Renee and I are trauma qualified. And that's your psychologists, your licensed professionals, you know, but everyone base level is a gatekeeper for trauma. Mm. You know, they're mm. going to either receive it, yeah. encounter it. A family member mm-hmm. walking down the street, seeing people who are aggravated and distressed and who have probably experienced more than their nervous system can handle. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm. I think in, in, in any given day, someone who is out in public is probably going to be touched by somebody who's experienced trauma. Mm-hmm. Sure. Absolutely. Um, well, I'm just meeting you all for the first time five minutes ago <laughs> and um, haven't been able to hear the Fathoms podcast that you were on. For the new listeners to the IEA podcast who aren't with us in person today and who may be listening to this later, could you introduce yourselves and talk a little bit about your professional qualifications working with trauma? Sure. Well, I'll start because you asked me to. (laughs) Um, I've been a therapist for 43 years. And the focus of my work has been in relationships. I was educated as a marriage and family therapist. And the focus of my work currently is family issues related to those impacted by addictions. Mm -hmm. Just uh, opened the first Enneagram-centered Gambling Addictions Treatment Center in wow. the World, I believe. What? Yes, That's, in Arizona. Uh, wow. But I've been working with individuals and groups and families. I love family work. I'm an Enneagram type two, so I love work on relationships that really, really, <laughs> yep, it really fills fills me up big time. So working with families and having the opportunities opportunity to heal relationships and especially as they're related to addictions and when we look at this kind of trauma lens you know trauma is really the basis it's actually addictions are the way people are coping with trauma in their lives Mm -hmm. and so that's um, a big part of my practice I'm also an internationally certified coach and come from a really long line of certifications from looking at alternative health and looking at lifestyle issues through a wellness lens because when you're working with people who have been impacted by addictions, a lot of them can't take medications or mm-hmm. other drugs that mm-hmm. they might otherwise take. So I've been very, very interested in that uh, as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. So that's another podcast on the addictions, yeah. right? It's incredible, yeah. It is amazing sure. work. Yeah. Thank you. My name is Sharon Ball, and I've been doing trauma therapy over 25 years, um, and I've branched out in the last 10 years taking that trauma work into corporate settings, um, workplace psychological safety, really believing that this information needs to get out to everyone. So it'll help our works workspaces be um, healthier, thriving. And then I'm also, I do a lot of work with first responders um, out in the field. And that I think is probably keeps me active in acute traumas, you know, in that moment. And um, it is also a good reminder of all the different types of trauma that people are encountering in the world. Uh, So that's kind of what Mm. I've been doing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What I'm struck with is what I'm hearing from both of you is that Enneagram is second and a lot of other things trauma related in therapy and that sort of thing is first. Can you speak to why why that is and why you think that's important? 
Well, for me, I wasn't introduced to the Enneagram until about 20 years into my professional work, but Mm -hmm. it's really become central and the hub to everything that I do. But you know, the word Enneagram and even the concept of studying the Enneagram is, although it's far more mainstream today than it was Mm -hmm. when either of us began studying, it's if you lead with that, I think that you could have the potential of losing people. Mm -hmm. And there's all sorts of ways to discuss patterns of personality or styles of being or character structures without even ever using the word Enneagram mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and learning to speak someone's language and find that the, a cookie cutter approach that they may have experienced in treatment in the past, mm-hmm. which has been ineffective, is now being replaced by something that's very appropriate based on their type. So I, I, I guess I would not say maybe that I would say Enneagram up front, although this treatment center certainly has has mm. made that uh, announcement. Um, but I think it, it really runs through, once you've been introduced to the Enneagram and you're seasoned at it and you're, you're working on your own self through that lens, mm-hmm. I think it just affects and impacts everything that you do, even if you don't use that word. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah. So to... piggyback off of what you were saying. We've talked about this before. In the work that we do, especially with trauma, we do lead with trauma-informed practices first. The Enneagram is interwoven in probably how we do it as a person. For me, being very aware of my type structure, how I'm entering into um, that space with the person, being able to hold that space, it's more, for me, the Enneagram work that I'm doing. But for for trauma, people recovering from trauma, you have to meet them from that space first. Mm-hmm. And so not that the Enneagram doesn't work right. because it's all intertwined. It's just you need to be trauma aware, trauma informed or trauma qualified. And that's all three of those can encompass any any one of us around this table. And it allows us to move into it with some knowledge, definitely depth of compassion and an ability to hold that space without leaving that person in a worse place than what you found them. Can you say a little bit more about why you need to meet them in that place first? What could happen if you don't? Sure, yeah. I think you could do more damage. Is you know, mm-hmm. When you walk away from that person, you don't understand, maybe let's take dysregulation. If you're not understanding, you've got a reactive person. I'm gonna give you a, a case conceptualization. Let's say you have a reactive person their tone is argumentative, they're agitated or whatnot, their body's tight. If you automatically move into, oh, they're type eight or this, this, I'm going to do, it could very well be they're not. Their body, their nervous system, their brain is dysregulated and they're in fight, flight, or freeze mode. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's what's going on. Um, All of our types have the ability to be trumped by the amygdala and go into fight mode. All of our types have the ability to be trumped by the amygdala and go into flight or freeze mode. Mm -hmm. So that's what I mean. It's like, can I move past that structure and get into what's going on with their their body, the brain health? I think that's important too. Yeah, Yeah, we're trying to find a way in, you know, Mm -hmm. and with people that are really guarded and and it may be type related, it may not be type, maybe trauma related, right? So we're trying to find a way in. So meeting someone with where they're at and trying to create a sense of safety and a sense of receptivity is the name of the game. Mm-hmm. Wow. So you all just released a book. How's an that excellent go- book. An excellent Thank book you. that you should all go buy. 
And um, what was that process like? The collaboration, all that sort of sort of thing. Yeah. So one of the things that happened before we even began writing the book, which was just when the pandemic was starting, mm. we started writing in the early part of 2020. Sharon will tell you more, but she was actually out of the country in a place where they were looking at this whole process maybe a little bit differently. But, and I was thinking, Bill Gates said, this is only going to last for four months, so we've got four months to you right. know, kind of get through this. I figured <laughs> yeah. he's kind of the voice of reason and knowledge. And, and we, we talked a lot about this not being a U.S.-centric book. It was really important to us that we looked at cultures outside of the United States, at traumas that might be experienced outside of the United States, at a series of global concerns that people might have around trauma and different types of trauma. But we set an intention to do that, and we also set an intention to lay a really ethical, solid foundation to have a, to open a dialogue about trauma and the Enneagram because just like the Enneagram, trauma is unfolding. This field is unfolding at a pace that is just unbelievable. Mm. So we knew rather than come in and take a look at the spiritual approach to trauma or the mental approach to trauma or what's happening in our lives and how we learned about the Enneagram and its approach to trauma, we really spent a lot of deliberate time trying to figure out how are we going to do that? We want to do that for the layperson. We want to do that not just for the professional, because initially we talked about writing a clinical book. And so we had a lot of boxes to check off as we were kind of just preparing to unfold this information. And so I think we succeeded in laying a really solid foundation for the Enneagram community and the trauma community to pick up and build on what, we, what we've, we've shared and what we know. I think we've definitely looked at it through the stories, which is in the middle part of the book, and the narratives from people's mouths and various cultures. You're going to hear from them things about trauma that you might not think are traumatic or I might not think are traumatic, mm. but are really shared through the lens of their type. Mm. And I'm sure Sharon has a lot more to share about that, but that's that's just mm. some of the stuff that you know is really important. I think from my perspective. I love the U.S. centric not being our focal point mm -hmm. because I think both Renee and I believe firmly in order to change the world, it's got to be a global perspective, right? And oftentimes here in the U.S., we can focus on self from a national perspective, a, a collective expect. But the pandemic really broadened that, right? It really showed all around the world, people coming together and, you know, showing up in ways that you least expected it. So the birthing of it happened before, but it really took flight with the pandemic. Um, and I was, I, I wrote about this and we both had our own experiences during the pandem pandemic, but I was in Israel and um, my son and I went for his 13th birthday and we were the last out of the U.S. and we were told over the pond that we would not, like everything was being shut down mm -hmm. and that they might have to turn our plane back, but we ended up landing. So I thought, hmm, this is interesting. 
And um, we finished our entire trip. We were three days quarantined the last part of the trip. And that's when I started to really write and was even, I think we were texting or emailing back and forth. I was calm. Like I had no idea what was Mm. going on in the U.S. because of the Israeli military response to the pandemic was so counter to what my friends and family were experiencing in the U.S. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't until I got back, um, landed here in San Francisco, you know, my son even, it was a shock for him just how the airport was and the chaos and everything. I think that it was the best place for him to be in Israel when the pandemic broke out because he could see the order. And so just seeing all of that, that really helped me to even probably come at it from that bigger perspective, the fuller picture. You know, there's a greater picture going on here than just in my little town, in my state, in my country. Mm -hmm. And trauma is global. And this is one thing that, you know, uh, I get excited about. Trauma, it is a universal experience, you know, um, and pain is a universal language. So I think it's something we all can identify with. And when you get outside your little bubble, you then can see, wow, people all over the world are hurting. And the pandemic offered that perspective to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Renee, in, in all your years as a therapist, what, what is something that as you look at us in the Enneagram community or people that are just starting into the mental health field, helping others, what's, what's a common mistake or a common misunderstanding that you see in, in that sort of practice? Well, if we're talking about the any, using the Enneagram in that regard, it's really um, looking at just type. I mean, everybody wants to know their type. You know, and then they want to type everybody else in their mm-hmm. family. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they want to type everybody else in their family before they really want to investigate their type because right. they're looking to, <laughs> just, you know, this is what's wrong with you. Yeah, <laughs> this is yeah. what's yeah. not wrong with me. Um, I think doing your own work, I will share with you that when I certified through the narrative tradition almost 20 years ago, I certified with 34 different countries, 43 people, and there were for, from 34 different countries, I believe. Wow. And after having done a master's degree a while before that, I never experienced the uh, cultural differences in education. I was never asked to investigate my own mental health. I was never asked to take a look at how my character structure and my personality was running the show. Hmm. And I was invited to do that. Hmm. And so, you know, when you study the Enneagram and use the Enneagram as more than an intellectual way of gathering Mm -hmm. information about type and stuff like that, and you really take the inward journey, because it's not just for twos, because I know twos can forget themselves and nines can forget themselves. Every type forgets themselves in nine different ways, right? Mm -hmm. So finding a way to come home to yourself so that you really are solid, and it's really become important as we've worked on trauma because if I'm not steadfast and really clear and grounded and taking care of myself and aware of what's going on with myself, I mean, it sounds obvious that I'm not going to be able to take care of other people, but it isn't quite that obvious, you know? Mm -hmm. So I I don't know if I answered your question, but... Yeah, I think so. What what does it look like for someone to come home to themselves, to to be grounded? Well, it, it, it does take receptivity, 
Mm-hmm. You know, it does take this ability to calm, and this is where the, the whole trauma piece is related to all of this. When we're traumatized, whether it's a big T trauma or a little T trauma or whatever type of trauma we're, we're going through, our nervous systems are hijacked, mm-hmm. and we cannot be receptive because our survival instinct is ignited and the body is going to do anything that it needs to do to keep itself alive. And one of the things that it does to keep itself alive is it only pays attention to the systems that are necessary to keep itself alive, breathing and your heartbeat and things like that. It will shut down your executive functioning. Mm -hmm. It will shut down your ability to use discernment. You will not know that the saber-toothed tiger is not the fire alarm that just went off. You know, you don't have the ability to to understand those kinds of things. So I think that's probably one of the more important things is to look at what does it take to find receptivity? How do I how do I calm myself down enough to quiet things um, in my life, and I'm not talking about external things in your life, but finding a way, a practice in your life where you can actually hear yourself Mm -hmm. and then have the tools not to be so scared of yourself when Mm -hmm. you do hear yourself Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. when you finally are quiet enough to hear what your Mm. head is really, oh yeah, talk about cell phone distraction and Mm -hmm. and binge watching Netflix and calling your friends and I mean... This whole notion that coming home to ourselves is there is a requirement, and then gathering the tools in order to find a safe enough way to be with yourself. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that safe enough way is just for somebody to to offer you the the support that says that's where an enneagram community is so crucial. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we're all doing this. You're not doing this by yourself. You're not the only one with the crazy chatter mm-hmm. or the internal critic. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're all doing that. And so those are some elements. There are so many elements of coming home to yourself, but those are some of them. Any type of inner work requires a confrontation of versions of ourselves that may be uncomfortable or scary. Sarah Jane Case invites you into a poetic exploration of who you thought you had to be through her new book, The Enneagram Letters. You can find this creative approach to your personal development anywhere you buy books online or using the link in the show notes. For anybody um, listening uh, here in the future that might not quite have a, a decent understanding or uh, on trauma, on what that word actually means, or just because simply trauma has become um, so popularized, can you give us just uh, some, uh, what your understanding today, of what that would be? So, so trauma is not the event that you've gone through. You know, so many people go, oh, my, that must have been so traumatizing. You heard, you know, you somebody broke into your house. Well, I would imagine it probably is traumatizing, right? But that's really not the definition of trauma. Trauma is your body's response to what happened to you. Mm. And there's some really interesting things that we know about our body's response to what happens to us. Like if we're with someone else going through a traumatic experience, our traumatic response is likely to be lessened than if we go through that experience alone. I was sharing in Sharon's workshop earlier today. I was here in 1989 during the San Francisco earthquake, actually in the stadium, Wow! married to my previous husband who had a compulsive gambling problem, and he he placed a very, very large bet on the game. 
thirty thousand dollars in nineteen eighty nine. That was a lot of it's a lot of money today. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, it is. And the guy who took our tickets when we went into the game said, "You guys are in the upper upper part of the stadium. You're like in the nosebleed section. You're really sitting close to God." That's what he said. And I thought to myself, when the earthquake hit. I'm so happy we're I'm in the upper part I'm of the stadium. Yeah. To get the nosebleed section <laughs> as people were carrying out chunks of the stadium when the earthquake wow. hit. But the the response to I was sharing in Sharon's workshop that the response to that was so divided. Some people responded to that by looting stores all over the city. Mm. I mean, they were just throwing rocks at windows and carrying things out. And then there were other people who were escorting people to up up really really steep hills that they couldn't climb or putting them in in vehicles or helping them in ways that you would n- never have even you just saw this generosity and kindness of spirit come out at the same time the greed and the mm-hmm. and the other ugly side was coming out it was just so weird hmm. you know hmm. so trauma is your response your body's response to what happens in a, in an uncomfortable or stressful situation in there tons of different types of trauma i'm not sure i've ever heard someone describe trauma that way it's Mm -hmm. always it's always about the event and not necessarily the thing that happens afterwards yeah yeah it's what happens to you yeah Yeah. you know it's the impact to this all of this not just physically but emotionally mentally Mm -hmm. spiritually relationally all of that nervous Mm -hmm. system everything Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so for anybody uh listening that the potential of that reality being true for them maybe for the first time, hearing that definition now, mm-hmm. what would you say to them in this moment? Well, I'm going to turn it over to Sharon. Why don't you talk about being what's visit, revisiting trauma, being re-traumatized? Because I think mm-hmm. that's like so important in our... So when they, we, when they hear Renee's definition, might not even have known that a word to put to what they've experienced. And that can even be a little startling right now. Wow, I remember this and that, and I think that's what happened to me, right? And then I think there's also re-traumatization, where when we do storytell or trauma storytelling or education on how to recognize trauma, even people within the room studying or learning about it can be triggered and re-traumatized by the experience. Mm -hmm. So... It's odd. It's like we have to be able to tell this information, get this information out, and at the same time know that it's going to be hard for people to hear it. And as hard as it is to hear it, you're going to move through it with some tools and also just knowing, being able to say, name it, this is what's going on with me, takes the um, abnormal feeling away, I think, for a lot of people. Like, you're not a bad person because of how you're feeling and what trauma did to you. Like Mm -hmm. that traumatic experience is not, it doesn't define you. And I think Mm -hmm. so often, at least in my life, when I've gone through those experiences, it begins to define me. And I feel very lost because trauma then overrides every good part of me. So that's what I would say, you know, just notice the hard and then remember Mm -hmm. there's, that's trauma. That's the yeah. experience of it. And there's you. Mm. And there's all of you, right? Yeah. And sometimes there's things in the event that trigger you that are kind of different. Like after the earthquake, going to a rock concert or a musical concert and hearing people just do this with their feet on the floor right. like was going on in the stadium, 
I could not go mm. into large events where that mm. kind of noise happened for a long time. I actually had to do a little bit of work on that. It was just, it was, just, and that didn't have to do mm. with the earthquake itself. It was just hearing that everybody mm -hmm. doing this with their feet on the mm. floor. It just set my, it it hijacked my mm. nervous system. And that's ultimately what's happening is, again, mm -hmm. that re-traumatization mm -hmm. is the process where your nervous system is getting re-hijacked, maybe not um, sometimes by telling your story, but oftentimes by things that are just, that smell like The senses, event, the five the, senses. The five senses, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. So trauma can convince you that you are what has happened to there you. Yeah. Like that's how powerful trauma is, the experience of it. And again, remember it's the impact, your body, your brain, everything. So it is in you. It is in you. It's moving around in you and you feel it. You, it walks with you every day. Mm -hmm. So until you resolve that, these triggers, the, the more you resolve the trauma, um, the more the triggers might not impact you as much. They'll fade away. Like I was telling Renee yesterday, when they announced that there possibly could be a COVID situation here at the conference, well, the last time I had my COVID experience, I almost died, and I was in a different city for six weeks. Mm. So I, my anxiety was just high, and I had to tell myself, wait a second, no, wait a second. I'm, gonna, I'm fine. You know, that might be okay. But I had to really kind of work with myself and be very kind and gentle and not judge my crazy feeling at the time. Like there's something wrong with me. So how does trauma hijack our sense of self? What, what about trauma does that? It's very, it, and at least initially, it's very physiological. I mean, all the, again, all of the energy in your body is going to keep you alive. It's going to your breathing, and it's going to your heartbeat, and it's going. I mean, you don't have an appetite when you're when you're going through trauma, and you can't collect a thought. You can run fast, you can flee fast, you can freeze, or you can acquiesce to your pre the predator that's that's created the trauma. That's the fawn response. So there's a fight, flight, freeze, or fawn response. But that's it's it's physiological and it's brain it's related to brain health i mean this is mm -hmm. it's a complicated question but it starts with a lot of physiology mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. and then and then imagine when you lose access to all of that in a normal quote unquote sense mm -hmm. right the way that you do life every day that has provided you security safety and you become this dysregulated it almost builds off of each other so then you're forgetting, you know, um, something for work. And now your boss is frustrated with you. So now you've defined yourself as forgetful. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just adds up. So who you are as a person, in my opinion, slowly disappears. Like you mm -hmm. shrink and shrink and shrink. And that's, you know, that's shame, mm -hmm. right? And so in order to unshrink, so to speak, if we could use that image, it's like clearing out the cobwebs and making sure that you, you know, you remind, you remind yourself of the brain activity that, you know, the hippocampus is there to store these memories of the traumatic experiences. But when they're in a place of reacting in that moment or moving through the traumatic experiences, it gets stored in the wrong place in the hippocampus. Hmm. So then you get stuck on these feedback loops. Mm -hmm. which is why these triggers can trigger you so quickly. Well, then you're in this whole mess and you're not showing up. 
Mm-hmm. It's the responses and reactivity to trauma that's showing up. So mm-hmm. I think it's very easy mm-hmm. for us to lose our sense of self. Mm-hmm. Could we, um, could, would you guys mind addressing a little bit of the difference between big T and little T? Because I, I know, I mean, I've, I've experienced plenty of trauma in my life, primarily the little T, because I, I haven't, I don't know if this is primarily associated with big T, but you mentioned loss of appetite. I've had plenty of legit time, trauma I've worked through, but I didn't have any, you know, uh, lack of needing to eat or anything. That wasn't an experience that I had. Just just to qualify people's experiences that didn't aren't extreme ones. I mean, sure. So um, big T trauma, you know. Renee's example, the earthquake, a natural disaster. It can be acute in nature. Our our um, school shootings, uh, anything that is a threat to self, a perceived threat, a threat to safety, and even your little people. So abuse. Um, I hear people say all the time, oh, my dad's emotionally abusive, but I don't think that really matters. Well, when you put yourself at, you know, four foot, two inches tall, and you've got a six mm-hmm. foot father figure, and they're saying words, might not even be yelling, there is a threat to self. Mm-hmm. There is. Um, it's that little person trying to figure out why that big person is treating them that way, and it feels threatening. Little T trauma is like a smaller version, you know, a uncomplicated or uncom- a not complex divorce, car accident that doesn't have any major threat to self as far as death related. You know, we've had fender benders and it startles you. You can... you. Can, go to the stop sign again, you think, oh, somebody's going to run into the back of me, right? Mm -hmm. You're still having to work through that, but it might not shut down Mm -hmm. all of your nervous system or amp it up. So you might not encounter all of those symptoms like loss of sleep or whatnot, but it still is impactful. I think we could talk all afternoon and still only scratch the surface (laughs) of what there is to talk about. Um, I know I've got like 15 questions of like, oh, I want to ask this. And We just don't have the time for it today. But could you point us to the book specifically and where we can find you both online or however people can best find you from the podcast? The book is called Reclaiming You. You can find it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. And my uh, website is urpurepotential.com, the letter U, the letter R, pure, P-U-R-E, potential, P-O-T-E-N-T-I-A-L.com. I'm excited for you guys to to pick up the book mm-hmm. Sharon yes. Yeah. yes so definitely Amazon or Barnes and Noble um, you can find me at SharonKBall.com uh, for any type of trauma work and if you're interested in bringing trauma to your organization ninepaths.com and I am super excited to be here with my co-author I just wanted yes. to say yeah. thank you for the journey yeah. yes I really appreciate you And I know it was a book about trauma, but I have to believe you guys had such a fun time being together writing it because (laughs) just watching the way you're interacting with each other, there's such such a our journey joyful. Yes and no. (laughs) Our journey has been in all transparency has been very very interesting. But one of the things that's been I, I will share about our journey is that we have really demonstrated that we employ the things that we were mm-hmm. writing about mm-hmm. and we have turned towards each other instead of away from each other when things have gotten really, really rough. And that wow. has been yeah. To your Beautiful. journey, creative people writing together, 
trauma, mm. you know, um, triggers, triggers <laughs> our own personal stories that right. we're unpacking together. It's a lot. Wow. And I, I am grateful we had the Enneagram. Yeah. Renee knows my threeness and I know where you could, like, we used that effectively when, and and yeah, it did get hard. Mm. And it was just like, now we're, it's sweet. Now yeah. we can benefit from the hard, which I think wow. is what life is about, right? Yeah. 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 Which is also the silver lining in trauma. I want to say that to everybody who's listening. Like, if I just hang in there because, and if you don't believe it now, borrow our faith, borrow our stories, our hope, mm-hmm. because you will get to the other side and it will not be as painful. Yeah. I guarantee yeah. you. Yes. So final question, what is the one thing that you want to plead to the Enneagram community to pay attention to, to recognize, to engage? So I think I would like everyone to know that you can leave a person in a better place or a much worse place. And you actually have the responsibility, and we all do in the Enneagram community, to stay in our lane. And and Renee and I talk about this. You know, know your role. Don't move into working with trauma if you don't know what you're doing. If you're in, um, you know, a gatekeeper situation where, which is all of us in this room, then be trauma aware. Get some training around trauma awareness. If you want to go deeper, do a good certification class. And then if you want to help people resolve that trauma, you need to go to school and you need to get your license and, you know, do the work. I I would never step into a surgery room and presume, you know, to do the work of a surgeon, Mm -hmm. right? So I think that would be my plea is we we have such a opportunity here to unite people globally around the Enneagram. And that also means as we're uniting people, we're uniting people who are hurting people. And so we have to be educated on how to recognize it and then stay in our lane because there's so much that that trauma awareness can do for people and then what therapists can do. Mm-hmm. There, yeah. There's no one greater than the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And there's room for everybody to make a contribution. You know, Sharon just said that whole piece about gatekeeping. Every person on the planet is a potential gatekeeper. But depending on how much you know and have, you know, and sometimes what we don't know is is scary, especially if we have feel like we're being called to help. Don't pretend that you can help situations that you don't feel qualified to help. This book was to lay um, a basic foundation of trauma. It was not for the Enneagram community to pick up and say, oh, I read Reclaiming You and now I am trauma Enneagram certified to work with everybody in the community. That's not what Reclaiming You is all about. Reclaiming You is about trauma awareness. And there are plenty of places in the book where we talk about if you don't feel qualified to to do something, please refer to someone else. And at the same time that I'm saying that, you know, although we're all gatekeepers globally, the counselors and coaches and spiritual directors are going to get people mm-hmm. who come to them directly to deal with things mm-hmm. like trauma and identify them as such or things will be uncovered. Please refer when you're not comfortable. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of people for all of us to help. Wow. 
Thank you so much. This was insanely amazing. So thank you both. Thank really you. appreciate thank it. You. Thank you. Guys. It's nice yes. to meet you both. Yes. Thank nice you. to meet you. Uh, we are recording and just again helps housekeeping sensitive table so no try and uh, avoid making solid points on the tables make solid points in the air <laughs> yes if possible <laughs> okay <laughs> gesture broadly <laughs> so when you're dealing Touchy. with trauma <laughs> <laughs> yes no bad to do. <laughs> gonna, I right. can already tell this is going to go right <laughs> <laughs> the entire podcast will be done with hands on hands. <laughs> I'm sitting on them. <laughs> okay. Okay. Can we get going here? Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll bring us in.